0: to Talking Bay 94, the Star Wars podcast devoted to interviews with the cast, crew, and creators of a galaxy far, far away. I'm your host, Brandon Winerdi, and today I'm talking to one of my favorite people, Tom Spina, founder of Tom Spina Designs and Regal Robot. We talk all about his early inspirations, his incredible work, his restoring of original props at the Lucasfilm archives, and what's coming up for Regal Robot, including a brand new exclusive announcement. So, this is Talking Bay 94, episode 105. Tom Spina. I mean, first before before all of this, when was the first time you saw Star Wars? What was what was that like? Did it did it mess you up? Like, was that it? Like, was
1: that the final? <laughs> uh, so I, I, even before I saw the movie, I had the the storybook mm. and. You know, so this is 77. This might have even been before the movie came out. I remember my mom always tells the story of how the um, the commercial would come on for the movie. And it would play through, and I would be begging her to take me to see it. And I would always say, it's like, but mom, it's at a theater near us. Because every trailer ended with, like, coming soon to a theater near you. And, um, and so that really stuck with her. She's still to this day, you know, however many years later gives me that one. Uh, but the storybook was my introduction to it. And, you know, what what messed me up was turning to that page that had the spread of Cantina monsters.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, you know, that was when I was done for all, all the other stuff was amazing. It was cool that, uh, you know, Tusken Raiders and the Jawas and uh, giant, you know, skeletons in the desert and all of this stuff that I was getting through the cards and the storybook. Uh, And then, you know, eventually the action figures and all of that stuff. But really, it was um, just baked in from the start with that cantina scene that was like, oh, okay, this is it. (laughs) Yeah in a way that I think didn't impact most of the kids my age. You know, they Mm -hmm. wanted to be the characters, and I wanted to be the guy that made the stuff I was seeing. Like, I'm like, this was someone's job. Someone got to do this? Okay, I want to do that.
0: So let's talk about that a little bit, which is, like, how did you learn that people made... Movies, you know, like in my mind, it's like, oh, I, you know, Starlog and, and, and learning like, oh, like someone made this thing that I love and it wasn't just like put on the screen. What was your experience kind of learning that
1: firsthand? Yeah. I mean, I think I was lucky enough to catch some of the early making of films, you know, the stuff that they'd run on uh, NBC or ABC or whatever. Mm hmm. Um, I very distinctly remember seeing the um, I believe it ran on NBC was the special effects making of Empire Strikes back special and and trying to make uh, I kept trying to replicate the scene where the they they ran a, a snow speeder down a wire and blew it up mm-hmm. um, uh, much to the chagrin of my parents <laughs> um, but you know even early on yeah I had seen the making of of Star Wars I must have seen other similar things you know I, it probably is just down to very practical parents
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you know they they didn't have the same imagination that I had mm-hmm. I was kind of the oddball in the family so it, everything was pretty plainly told to me right at the start that it wasn't real and that mm-hmm. this was you know someone made this but to me that makes it better like yeah. if it just happened well, what's the point? That uh, someone went outside and pointed a camera at it. Great. Right. You know, good good job, George,
2: you know. <laughs> but
1: like that someone had to make that? Holy crap.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Were there any other movies besides Star Wars that that instilled that in you as well? Like
1: or was Star Wars the the thing? It I mean, Star Wars was and and, and remains.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah the the, the thing.
1: thing. But, you know, prior to that, it was Wizard of Oz, it hmm. was King Kong, Mighty Joe Young, you know, anything stop motion. And, and, but, you know, this is also a different time than now. So this was like stuff that I got to see once a year
2: mm-hmm. and
1: then I would have to relive it somehow. So for me, that would either be making costumes or props or masks or something as a kid. That was how I relived it or I would draw it, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, Because we just, we weren't seeing the movie all the time. So you had to find a way to keep it alive. And and you know, eventually it was Star Wars and then Star Wars comic books were a great way to keep that going. And just, I can remember being in like third grade and wanting to make Star Wars movies in my basement. (laughs) And like, that was what I was working towards, you know, and like Return of the Jedi comes out and I'm, building a cardboard Han Solo in carbonite, you know, life-size
2: to, well,
1: not life-size, like life-size to my buddy Brian, who was going to (laughs) play Han Solo in the movie, you know, that Uh kind of thing. Building the Jabba the Hutt on the couch out of old, you know, blue couch foam that my grandfather had saved me. There was like this roll of (laughs) that egg crate foam, you know, (laughs) whatever I could do to try and bring it back to life. And that was, you know, by the time Jedi comes out, from Star Wars to Jedi to making of a saga Mm -hmm. happens, And that really, you know, now we had a VCR and I recorded that. Right. And you know, that I watched more than I watched the movies. And that I think says something, you know, there's, there's the films are great and I love them. And, and it's what inspires so much other stuff, but really the, the story behind the scenes, seeing these people doing this cool, creative stuff like that to me is the real magic. And that's what, um, you know, definitely started me on the path of, of that became my life.
0: I love it. I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir, really. I think I've seen like Empire of Dreams and the beginning more than I've seen the actual Star Wars movies. So, um, right, <laughs> you know, it's fine. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, yeah. You're, you're talking about this innate part of you that was building and creating masks and costumes and and props on your own. What? How did you evolve that process from just like? being a kid who wanted to like plug in the holes of what he was seeing on screen to kind of almost making it a career. What was that journey for you and how did your skills kind of evolve over that time?
2: Slowly
1: <laughs> and the hard way.
2: Oh.
1: <laughs> um we call it error and trial, <laughs> <laughs> and error is first. Um, yeah, I you know just a lot of trying things, and and you know uh, eventually discovering Tom Savini's book that was yeah. a huge step for me. Um, you know, uh, Grand Illusions or Bizarro, depending on which book cover you got. Mm-hmm. And and here's the first. You know, you had the Dick Smith books, but they were always a little kiddie to me. And then you had this Tom Savini book come out, where it's really the first time you had someone laying out. Here's how you make a plaster mold. Here's what an undercut is. This is what to watch out for on that. Here's how to cast latex. Here's how to do foam latex. And, you know, even there, I'm like, I'm not able to do foam latex in my home office. My mom won't let me. But <laughs> I found through, like, you know, either Fangoria or, like, Gorezone magazine, Cryoland mm-hmm. uh, used to make, a, and they still do, I'm sure, The uh, their three-part cold foam uh, kits. And so, like, I got myself a Gram scale, and I got... um you know, one of these kits, and now I was able to make, you know, cold foam latex, uh, which is really just a really soft polyfoam, more or less, but, you know, a, a self skinning foam mask. And that was something, you know, that was, even though they weren't great at the start, it was a foundation for, yeah. you know, everything that would come later. And it really, you know, there were not, <laughs> uh, there was no internet for anybody listening who wasn't around back then. Um, yeah, this was, there was nothing at the local library for this. I was lucky that the Corner store used to carry Starlog and Fagoria and Corazon and Deep Red and a bunch of other, like, kind of like real horror movie type ma- uh, mm-hmm. magazines. Um, but those were magazines that talked to Tom Savini and Rick Baker and all of these makeup effects artists who were magicians and, you know, creating these wonderful illusions on screen and tricking your eye and making you think that you saw something you didn't see. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: to a kid like me, that was everything. It's really
0: cool seeing that legacy of like Harryhausen then transporting to the the age that you're growing up with the Rick Bakers who are making Mm. horror movies and making these creatures and Rick Baker having yeah. this legacy of not only Star Wars, but then, you know, the 80s of horror and Tom Savini. Yeah. And it's like, that is the perfect kind of way to immerse yourself in, like, you know, the monster kid mentality and really yeah, totally. elevating it
1: uh, even more. And and it's a generational thing. And now that I've gotten to know all these guys, you know, it's a, there's, there's this direct link that kind of runs yeah. from... You know, from Ray to John Perk to me to, yeah, you know, okay. now maybe the kids who are working at my shop, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's a really neat thing to see. And, and you know, another one I'd be totally remiss uh, of Muppets and Men. There was a special a behind the scenes special about the Muppet show that aired wow. that. Unfortunately, this was before I had a VCR at our house, (laughs)
2: Uh and
1: literally one of the first things we ever recorded was from Star Wars to Jedi, which is just amazing to me. Like, that's really, really lucky that we taped that. (laughs) Like, I think back to then, we didn't know when something was going to air. We didn't know that was going to be on. You know, it was like we had turned on PBS or channel 21, like the uh, the secondary kind of public television here. And it was just like, what's this Star Wars thing? It's just starting. Mom, quick, (laughs) take, you know, (laughs) like one of those. That of Muppets and Men and the Muppet Show in particular um, is another one where, you know, everything you see in a Muppet Show episode is built. Everything's fabricated. Mm -hmm. Everything is an illusion. Nothing happens that the way it looks like it's happening Um, and I fell in love with that. That was huge for me as well.
0: It is cool kind of seeing this progression for you, right? Having to rely on the VHS recordings or magazines and then the advent of the internet happens. The internet exists. And then all of a sudden you're able to connect with people that that are just like you or that have the same passion. Talk to me a little bit about that. And especially like the prop form, like all these kind of things that really kind of cemented your love and ability to connect people.
1: Yeah. I mean, prior to that, I think the, uh, you know, your connections were people you were in high school with, then they were people you were in college with. And, you know, you just tried to find people that were just as demented as you were, or, (laughs) you know, like in the same way, you know, and we'd be making all these puppet productions and dragging people off the, you know, out of the hallways. And it's just like, you know, Hey man, I know you from film uh, from film history. Come on in here. You ever put a puppet hmm. on, uh, you know, or we'd be like murdering someone in the, in the, in the <laughs> woods outside in the back of the thing for a film. It's not real. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but eventually I got, uh, my internship was with the Muppets and I got to, I was a, a wrangler on Sesame street for a season as a, as an assistant, you know, helping put feathers on big bird and, uh, get the guys in and out of snuffy and and prep the puppets for shots and things like that. And then, you know, there I met a lot of great connections and and creative people. And that really was the thing that made me realize that there are people who do this for a living for real, you know, to see it on a TV thing, whatever, like, Oh, well, those guys, they're out in California. You never, you know, that's not me. I'm never going to have that. And then to see people locally Doing this for a living, and you just go, This is a real thing. Like this mm-hmm. thing I dreamed about my whole life, it exists. It's not, you know, this isn't uh, the, the mystical, uh, magical world of Oz or anything, <laughs> because this is really here. And that gave me the, the kind of gumption to, to start doing things like making my own companies and pursue a career in film and TV and things like that. I uh, wound up getting a job in TV and made some great connections there with, with you know, again, <laughs> like-minded, demented folks. Um, and, you know, during that, it's during that run where I'm working, you know, I'm a, a technical director, so I'm I'm at the switcher. Like, uh, like the guy getting ready to blow up Alder end you know? <laughs> it's the old Grass Valley switcher with the, with the, the take bar on it. So it's just,
2: boom, every time you go
1: on a commercial, okay. you know, I'm sitting there with a smirk, you know? And that's when the internet hit. And, you know, it was there prior, and there was the little AOL message boards, and I'd start connecting with collectors and things like that. But it's really then, and, and, oh, a local comic shop, um, a Muck Time toys. They're still around. They're outstanding toys. uh Toy and collectible shop. um I had gone in there, and someone had made him a couple of Jawas, and they weren't that great.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I said, you know, Paul, I could probably fix these up, and, and you know, really, really punch them up, make them look like movie props. So like, you could. All right, take them home for the weekend. I'll give you a hundred bucks each, or whatever it was. You know, it was like. I'm like, okay, so I take them home and I, you know, I weather everything up and I distress them and I build up the bodies a little better and change a bunch of stuff up. And like, I, I bring them back and he's like, no, look, I got hit by a sand crawler. That's great.
2: So yeah. like, Could
1: you do a Tuscan Raider? And I'm like, yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I don't know. So I go and I get like a roll of burlap from Joanne fabric or, or his fabric bonanza back then. So yeah, uh, just set about making a Tuscan Raider out of whatever I happen to have around? Um, bring that back. He loved it. So I like, go, oh, could you make a Wampa? Yeah, I could make a Wampa. You know? <laughs> uh, and that, that saying yes to that was what earned me my handle on the RPF, <laughs> which yeah. was Wampa at the time. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, so you know, the RPF hits late nineties, uh, with Brandon Allinger started it. Who's now yeah. over at prop store. Who, anybody who collects star Wars books knows from, his amazing Star Wars costumes book and the uh, two volume Macquarie set that weighs enough to give you a herniated disc. Yeah. Um,
0: Both of those are right here. I use them um, to to uh, lift weights. Yeah, it's great. Yes, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Like, I thought you were going to say reference at this, for the show. No, but then, like, no,
0: no. <laughs> no, I use it. I, so, yeah, I use Jim. it to work
1: out. Yeah, yeah. no, I. Uh, they're too heavy for me to do that. I. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the you know and and. So there, it's that's where I connect with people like Richard Riley, who's been uh, sculpting foam with us for you know decades now, <laughs> um, and lifelong friends Brian Lewis, who sculpted a bunch of stuff with us. People who are equally obsessed with Cantina monsters, and I started to find people who said, you know, well Tom, look, you're sculpting that mask. I, I'd like one of those. I was like, oh, all right. I was just making this for me, but if you, yeah, if you want one, I'll make a couple extra, and you know. Then I started to realize, like, oh, you know, there are other people that feel this way. Like for me, I would I would make something because I wanted to have it, um, and <laughs> uh-huh. I still do that. You know, uh-huh. if there's anything that's on the Regal Robot website, uh, you know, it's because I wanted it.
2: <laughs>
1: like, <laughs> right. like, oh, you know, like uh, we go to Lucasfilm. It's like you know, whenever we're, we're pitching them ideas, it's like they they know. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Tom just really likes CZ3, you know. (laughs) That's an interesting growth spurt that happens there, though, because now all of a sudden you just, this is even really pre, you know, so there's kind of, I see sort of two phases to to, um, the the whole internet thing. There's Mm -hmm. the first phase where you have people that were already makers who are now connecting with other makers and, you know, potential really clientele, you know, like potential buyers and things like that. Um, and it it starts to level that playing field where a small business can have the appearance of a bigger business, or you can have a, a similar playing field. You know, you, you've got a seat at the table all of a sudden. And then obviously, this really only works in the niche markets. So nobody's <laughs> nobody's mom and pop shop has got a seat at the table with Amazon anymore. But back then, it was. You know, you now. People had the same amount of access to you as they did anywhere else. If you set up a website, if you made it right, if you, you know, put good stuff out there, you, you had a chance and then you go forward another 10 or 15 years and then you start really getting like, you know, the advent of the maker movement online and Mm -hmm. the how to kind of movement online, lots of tutorials, lots of, you know, now it started with like Pepakura and now it's like you know, 3d file sharing and things like that. And, uh, printing and, t- you know, anything you want to do, you can learn on YouTube. Um, I, you know, I, I look at some of the folks who come to us to, to interview and things like that. And it's like, man, yeah, that's pretty good. Where'd you learn to mold that? And it's like, Oh, I just watched video on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I don't like, I, I don't <laughs> wait till I was like 40 before anybody showed me that,
2: you know? <laughs> like, right.
1: Um, you know, it's it's an amazing time for young, creative type people, uh, where the limit on what you can learn is really just it's like, it's just limited by the questions you ask at this point. Yeah, you know, the right. answer to everything is out there. It's just down to you asking that question or finding it, and, and that's just incredible. It really
0: does give a lot of credence and ability to people that are curious, and I think that's that's very important. Yes. that's something that's that's often overlooked. With because, like you're saying, having a ton of internet and an access yeah. is both a good thing and a bad thing, right? Like it can you right. can do incredible yeah. things, or you can just you know waste your life or sometimes both <laughs> <laughs> the, the demented curious people are the ones that are uh...
1: curiosity is is so important i i you know i feel like i'm i'm i i feel very fortunate in life too and i i you know i've i've been very lucky to be in the right place at the right time a few a few times along the way to have met some of the right people along the way to have um you know, just just been very lucky to bring certain folks into my life that just made a huge difference. Uh, my wife, not the least among them, the, the, yeah. You know, that whole idea of curiosity is definitely there. You know, uh, that is that's very much a me thing. And I think, um, you know, if I, if I look for factors in folks when they uh, come and interview with us, and I, I, I brought this whole interview thing up a couple times now just because we just did a series of interviews we hired a couple of new people and it's just Mm -hmm. kind of in the forefront of my mind but i've one of the things i like to ask folks is like you know do you feel fortunate in life and and you know i like people who um regardless of circumstance because everybody has a rough time and and you know everybody has their own challenges but i think that you know folks that can come through those challenges and come out on the other end and say, you know what? That's I'm 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 still a lucky person and this is this is why and it's because I'm on the other side of this or because I'm getting through this or because I'm gonna, you know, and, and keeping that positive outlook and then you know, so like that to me is such a key thing and as a personality trait. And, and to me, it sort of suggests something in how I think they're going to, you know, perform as a member of our team or, or in the work they do. And then that curiosity, you know, finding someone who's going to come into the shop and just be like, what's that? Oh, how do we do that? What's that? Why is that that way? You know, that to me is, is so key. And I love to see that kind of thing. And I'd love someone that, you know, when you can look and see, see just in their work that they've pushed beyond the boundaries that they normally would have had because of something like that curiosity. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's pretty amazing.
0: I love it. And I mean, now that we're talking kind of about your companies and I mean, for instance, with, with TSD, with Thomas Bain Designs, the restoration Mm -hmm. aspect of it is so interesting to me because of how you approach it. And it's something obviously that's differentiated you where you, you have such care and such craft to make sure like the things that are imperfect, you know, you don't want to just create a brand new prop. You want to really the lineage, yeah. right? Um, and For I'd sure. love to kind of just start at the, the start of that kind of restoration. How did that first start? What was your first restored prop? And how did that kind of build and build and build to become the company that it is today?
1: It grew out of error and trial. Uh, it, it grew out <laughs> of me, you know, never getting a perfect casting of a latex mask when you cast one up. And I thought I was doing something wrong. Turns out, you know, it's really tricky to get a perfect (laughs) you know, Almost every mask you cast, they're going to have a little air bubble to fix or this or that or the other thing. And sometimes I had ones that were a little more than a little air bubble. But, you know, I was learning. (laughs) But in that learning, you learn how to fix stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And I also was the type of person. So, like, I would get um, when Elusive Concepts came out with their Yoda statues. Um, Mm -hmm. that Mario Kyoto uh, sculpted. And I would look at that and I would go like, man, you know, that's, it's not a bad sculpture, um, but it's not a great piece. Mm -hmm. And so I would look at it and go like, well, you know, this one here, like the paint's pretty good, but I can make the paint better. Or the eyes aren't great, but I could cut those out and I could put other eyeballs in it and it would look more real Mm -hmm. or I could give them a better Mm -hmm. cane or, Ooh, you know the arms really aren't the right length. If I put in wire and noodle, like pool noodle type stuff, I could make arms on this. And oh, if I just stress that robe up, this thing would look really good. And that's one of those things that you know I did for myself. Why I wanted to have it. I got a Yoda replica, <laughs> three hundred bucks, and immediately started tearing it apart. And right. then I showed it on the RPF, and then I had a whole bunch of people who were like, "Hey, can I send you my Yoda to tear it apart?"
0: You know? um, <laughs> right.
1: And that's. Maybe that's part of the optimism. Maybe that's part of the curiosity. Maybe it's like, you know, I I love to see things for what they could become. I think that's any creative person. You know, they don't look at a blank page. They think about what they could make it. They don't look at a bunch of raw materials thrown on a a desk. They say, oh, if I put these together, this could be this or that. Or, you know, (laughs) I could make a dinosaur or a hat. Uh, (laughs) Suddenly they're an airplane. But it's that. Mentality that fed into the idea of restoring props. You know, late 90s, you've got the internet connecting more and more folks and you start connecting with people, maybe now who aren't just making replica props, but maybe some folks who have original props that were in movies. Things that Mm -hmm. you thought I could only see when I go to Disney World. You know, Mm -hmm. I I remember so clearly seeing one of uh, Doug Beswick's Cantina Band member masks in uh, a display it's what's now pizza rizzo it used to be the the buzz light year pizza place in mgm mm-hmm. it was this brick building nondescript at the time and i just walked in there was no like wasn't big signage or anything you know and it was this mm-hmm. empty building just past star tours i was like well what's in here me and my buddy john let's go <laughs> and boom prop display yeah. and it mm-hmm. was you know the the mine cars from temple of doom it was some of the animals from the circus train in uh last crusade there were some tiles from the death star there were the two speeder bikes that they had just gotten at the time there was this cantina band member just staring me in the face some rocketeer (laughs) stuff too oh my god but that band member i took a photo of it and that's saying something because i I only Uh probably had 24 pictures for the whole trip you know as a roll of film and i had to make it last i was in like you know high school here or whatever um but that that's like a burned-in moment in my mind, and then to start connecting with folks who have some of these real props. I'm like, that's that's a thing? That's accessible? You know, that's now that's not completely out of reach? Isn't that just for crazy rich people? Um, <laughs> it's like, no, crazy poor people can have it, too, if you just save up. Um, but, you know, <laughs> so, at the time, it was a really neat transition, because you had replica props selling high. Original props weren't out of reach just yet, and so, you know, a lot of guys I knew sold off a lot of the replica stuff they had or even things they made and started to buy real props. And then the real props started going up in value. And so if you lucked out, and bought a few of them at the right time, uh, you know, you could maybe trade up someday. You'd have some mm-hmm. small piece from Star Wars that, you know, you could sell for more than you got it and get a better piece. Um, and and that put me in the network of people who had aging uh, rubber props, masks, monsters, foam latex, and, and, or other stuff, fiberglass and, and foam and whatever else. And that was where people started to say, well, Tom, Tom can fix anything. <laughs> Give it to him. Yeah. You know?
2: uh-huh.
1: And, uh, yeah, Brandon Allinger was actually, you know, I had fixed up a few things for myself. Um, there was a mm-hmm. Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and, uh, that I did some some really you know careful repairs to, and I and and it was I was very focused on like the museum approach to restoration, you know, maintaining originality at all point at, at all costs, not painting over the whole piece. It's not like restoring a quarter panel on a car where you you know you replace the whole panel and you you paint the whole thing just to, just because you buffed out a scratch. It's you know. Mm-hmm when you're talking about a creature, you can actually do it where you don't paint the whole thing, uh, where you only paint the scratch. And if you paint that scratch just right, not the easy way, but you can do it where it disappears. So I really pushed in that direction. And, you know, the, the first real star Wars pieces I, I restored were the Ugnaughts. Um, and those were uh, four masks. Short Freeborn uh-huh. had kept. Um, this is early 2000s, 2004, probably. And, Brandon Allinger had picked them up through prop store I had been very fortunate to get a few pieces from Stewart as well at the time he was he and Kay were retiring and moving to a little cottage I and mean, they had, they had really long since been out of the business but they were moving to the smaller cottage they had had a, a little estate with four or five greenhouses and in the greenhouses those had been the workshops and mm-hmm they still were filled with, you know, 50 years of makeup history and the folks at prop store got to help them find homes for all that. Um, wow. and, and that was incredible. Even just going to prop store and help it go through some of that stuff. And, and I remember digging through a box of claws and going like, Oh, that's a Wampa claw, you know, and,
2: and then finding
1: the rest of like, Oh, here's a whole hands worth of Wampa claws. Like he, you know, Stuart was a pack rat. He so said, he kept all this stuff and, and we would, dig through and you'd find things like that. So the Ugnaughts were not in the best of shape. They had been stuffed with newspaper, which is less than ideal. Um, <laughs> it tends to pull the moisture out of things and foam latex is very sensitive to that. And, you know, also being stored in greenhouses, I'm sure the temperatures were not ideal either. And they were, they were they looked worse than they were. And I think that's something mm-hmm. that, I've discovered with restoration in general, it is rare to have a piece that is actually worse than it looks. And I know that kind of sounds strange, but maybe not. I, I feel like, you know, with almost any restoration project, it's like you're pushing a, a, a boulder up a hill and the, the lead up, or maybe it's more like a roller coaster, you know, it's like that first, the first uphill that you go up there. Hmm. Um, clank, 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 clank. clank. That's you trying to figure out what this thing is. What's the real state of it? Where are the pieces? Is everything here? Is anything missing? How can I support this? And once you sort of get your plan of attack going and once you start to move things back into place, that hill crest and then you're just on the ride and (laughs)
2: there's a
1: around, you know, hopefully a good loop to loop. And that kind of was the way with these. And uh, I was nervous about working on them um but Brandon you know kind of said like you know I I was like what if I ruin them and he's like they're already ruined you know like so give it a shot um and then you know I owe a huge debt of gratitude for for pushing me on that they were not the first things I restored but really some of the most more intense things I had done early on and certainly the first big Star Wars pieces I got to work on and it was really neat to help keep those around, and and that yeah. became, you know, even just working on those, I developed some techniques that that, you know, now, almost twenty years later, we're still doing at the shop, and I'm teaching people as they come in and and um, you know, really focusing on things like that in painting and finding people that are even better at it than I was was great. You know we've got Melissa Ocampo at the shop is, insanely good at in painting. Um we actually had something recently where we showed the client and he uh he looked at it and he just went, he's like, well that's great, but I told you don't paint the whole thing. I just wanted the the scratches painted <laughs> out. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I watched her. She didn't paint the scratch. <laughs> she didn't paint the whole thing. She only painted the scratches. Damn, she's good. I'm like, yeah. You know, like that's why people come to us. You know? <laughs> But that's, you know, that's a key thing for us. It's like maintaining that sense of original, uh, that maintaining that original material, the, the surface of the thing we're working on is what reflected light into the lens of the camera that shot this movie for us to go over that willy nilly is, uh, is a crime, you know, (laughs) um, and and so that's we're so cautious about that. And then there's also, you know, some there are cases for everything. There are times where you have to do more. But really, it's it's like you know, it's the Hippocratic oath. It's it's first do no harm. <laughs> you know, it's it's as little as possible and as much as necessary.
2: <laughs> um, yeah.
1: You know, there's there's this, there's a lot of of sort of theory behind what we do and a ton of planning goes into every single restoration. And it, um, it very quickly became the thing that, that allowed me to make it its own identity. Um, there was any number of guys on the RPF or the HMA at the time that were doing monster masks. Um, I wasn't going to set myself up with a a business and leave a great paying job in the business that I went to school for and (laughs) love. Uh, to start my own business where I'm dependent on, you know, the leniency of an IP holder that isn't me and, you know, just making rubber masks that anybody out there is making. Um, but when I hit on the idea of restoration and doing theme displays, doing custom mannequins, enhancing collections, doing the stuff that nobody else was doing and giving collectors a way to, um, appreciate and enjoy their collections anew. You know, I, we have so many people who come to us that have like a rack of costumes. Um, and it's just, it's so great that, you know, you've got some of these costumes, but if they're just sitting on a clothing rack, yeah, like what is that? You point? know, yeah. it's like, yeah. So now we're getting them, you know, we get them off a of hanger. We get them on a custom mannequin made to the the stature of a, the actor, maybe on a themed base that evokes the film. Maybe there's, you know, some other element that you combine with it. Maybe they've got some hand props.
2: Sometimes it's
1: a wax figure of a character. Sometimes it's an all white approach where you can keep the focus on the costume. Um, I mean, you know, we've gone in so many different directions with that, and now that was a niche. That was uh, something to that we could talk about, and mm. that would be set us apart from anybody else at the time. And and really that was what gave me the, the gumption to, to start TSD proper to say, okay, Tom Spina designs, here we go. And, you know, yeah, we can do sculpture, we can do restoration, we can do displays, we can do big foam stuff and, hmm. you know, cast this wide net that has allowed us to keep going for so long because, you know, Okay, so maybe there's not always restoration work, but then at those times you're doing a bunch of big trade show props out of foam or giant carved stuff, or maybe you know when that stuff's a little slow, you're you're making you know cantina monsters for Lucasfilm for a Super Bowl commercial or whatever, or making costumes for something or a big puppet. Um, it's it's. All wonderfully creative. It's all diverse. It's all interesting, and it's just every day you go to work and there's something new and uh, exciting to me, certainly, and hopefully the folks that work for me. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, so that's that's kind of the genesis of that.
0: I I love it, it especially like you talking about care and really this process that you've developed and, and brought up Lucasfilm, and you've obviously restored people's collections, but you've also <laughs> helped Lucasfilm restore things in the archives and I'm sure you can't like give me the list of everything that you've restored but maybe just in general going to the Lucasfilm archives and being able to mm-hmm. be in that area A is something I think I've dreamt about like once a month for the past like
2: you know right. 30 years
0: <laughs> but having that responsibility on your shoulders too to to restore it in that yeah. sympathetic way you're talking about I'm sure it's, <laughs> it's, I'm I'm gonna like not sleep tonight just thinking about that what is that, right. what is that process for you, and and how did you even first get in contact with Lucasfilm to begin this relationship that's really lasted so many years?
1: It's funny how things come full circle in life, and I, I, you know, it's between Henson and Lucasfilm. There are these repeating beats in my life that keep coming back, and and I'm so incredibly grateful for them. Um, with yeah, I think the best when you talk about the the pressure of doing this stuff. I think actually it's, it's a non-Star Wars story, but, uh, uh I, I, in
2: the,
1: I guess early, uh, 2007, 2008 area, um, we restored, Really, I restored the original mm-hmm. wolf from American Werewolf in London mm-hmm. for Bob Burns. Wow! I had some friends there, you know, kind of help him. We actually restored a bunch of little small stuff and just kind of fixed up a bunch of things while we were there because Bob's collection is so vast. Um, anybody who doesn't know, Bob is a uh, film historian, collector, gorilla guy. He played Tracy the gorilla on the live-action Ghostbusters TV show in the '70s. Uh, he's also this amazing Forest Gumpish nexus. For so many special effects and movie artists and makeup artists in the uh, Burbank area, and he used to do these incredible, you know, Halloween shows with illusions and creatures and things like that. And you know, you could go to one of these Halloween shows and see stuff that Rick Baker made or Dennis Murin made, mm. or you know, all of these amazing, famous monster makers. And you're just like, how, Bob? Yeah. Um, But you know what, I mean, and there's just, Bob always says he's the luckiest guy in the world, and it's true, he's, you know, right place, right time, right folks, and then he pays it forward, and he shows new guys what to do, and he brings folks under his wing, and he he winds up, you know, just making this huge impact on so many people, myself included, and um, so he and Kathy had uh, Rick Baker giving them the original wolf from American Werewolf, and it was not doing great at one mm-hmm. point. Um, you know, he got, he got pretty, pretty beat up in the face. And, um, you know, Bob, Bob asked me to come fix it up and I'm working on it. And, um, and he kept coming up behind me while I'm working. <laughs> and He would just go, um, he'd be like, uh, oh, oh, it's looking so good. We'll show that Rick Baker. I'm <laughs> like, "Goop, you know will what to who you know yeah. um and, I, and i'm like bob why do you keep saying that he's like because because you're making me nervous and then he goes well rick told me to throw it out I'm like what you know? oh my gosh oh yeah yeah i told him my friend tom's gonna come fix it who the hell do you think you are no you know? oh my gosh. <laughs> i won't throw it out uh, and i thought it was bob's always he's a super evocular guy and he's always got these great stories and you just feel like you know, most of this story is embellished. Um, but I wound up very shortly after I did it, Rick wrote me this amazing note and thanked me for doing the impossible. It said, you know, I told Bob to throw it out. I can't believe did." <laughs> you know, thanks for proving me wrong. And I was like, what? You know, oh my <laughs> like, god! I really told him that? Yep. Well, Bob was just telling stories. <laughs> but that, you know, there's pressure. Because I'm like, right. here's something that I know the person who made it is going to see this someday. Because Bob are friends. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, it's like doing surgery on someone else's child, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, by the time we get to the Lucasfilm archives, I believe that actually came right after we did a bunch of stuff for the Henson archives,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: was for the museum of the moving image, which is in uh, Queens, New York, highly, highly recommend if anybody uh, wants to go there, they've got an incredible Muppet exhibit, um, and also some, um, some some great other props from different films and things like that. Uh, and they do have a Stewards Yoda and a Stuart People and Chewbacca uh, wow. mask that have... Uh, the. I don't know if Yoda's are currently on display. They kind of rotate them in and out. But um, anyway, uh, th- this was one of those things where, you know, you do a project like that and you go like, well, we're never going to have a project like this again. That was amazing. You know, we just got 20 crates of stuff from... The Henson Archives. So we sort of filled up the whole studio and we all worked on this and it's incredible. And then, you know, the truck shows up from the Lucasfilm Archives.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> How that starts, uh, we in, I guess, 2011, uh, at that point, you know, we had done some little things. We had done like some sculpting for sideshow, a mm-hmm. uh, uh, bust here or there, um, but never anything directly for Lucasfilm at that point. And, um, Volkswagen came to them and said, we want to borrow back the cantina monster masks. We want to make uh, a commercial in the cantina. And they said, well, one, you know, they're all, uh, all old masks. You can't just wear them. They're all fragile. They fall apart. And then two, we don't have most of those. Well, what you need is someone like Tom Spina, who's already sculpted a lot of these. I was really lucky. It was uh, Pablo Hidalgo and, and Steve Sansweet both had, had put in a, a good word for me. Apparently. Um, and so I, I get the call from these Volkswagen folks and they're like, you know, can you make us a dozen monsters or whatever? And uh, I, think it was, I think it was 10 monsters in about three weeks because then <laughs> we had to freight them out to California. Mm. And so we're like, OK, you know, we'll take a handful of them out of molds that we've already got. We'll fabricate a bunch of other stuff. muf-tack, Hammerhead, we'll um, sculpt a few new masks from scratch and, you know, make a jam out of it and and put together a budget, got the gig, made all the monsters, hmm. flew out to California to put them on set. And, uh, oh, there were the makeup, too. We did a uh, Dr. Evazan makeup, which, funny enough, I'm like 99 percent sure they used photos of, of the guy in our makeup when they were doing the one for Rogue One. Yeah, because when you search Dr. Evazon like the best photos that come up are our guy, this guy Scott uh, hmm. Subiano played him. Because, you know, all the vintage photos are, one, there's not a lot of Dr. on out there, and then two, they're, they're not the best photos. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our guy, there's, there's all these great clear photos, and then I look at Rogue One, I'm like, they re-, like, that guy looks like Scott looked, which is not correct. <laughs> like, we were just working <laughs> with what they gave us, you know. Right. Uh, but uh, anyway, on set, they actually had some of the folks from the Lucasfilm archives there, because they had brought some of the prequel trilogy aliens Mm. to be in the background uh, of our (laughs) monsters which killed me it was like oh wait a second let's put Mm -hmm. the Lucasfilm archives in the background of our stuff right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and so you know we we they were a little understaffed they didn't they didn't have a lot of people there to wrangle and we had we had brought plenty of people to, to help keep everybody alive in the mask. We were blowing air in, in between takes and stuff. I remembered what I saw on from star Wars to Jedi. Uh, <laughs> and so that we, we were able to lend them a hand and they were lovely folks, which was great too. And, and just got to know them. And, you know, at the end of the shoot, one of them says to me, uh, uh, it was a very New York way to say, so she says to me, they says, uh, you know, but <laughs> so one of them said to me, um, Oh, you know, if you're ever going to be up in, uh, San Francisco area, let me know. We'll have you by the archives Mm -hmm. to which I reply, I'm going to be there in a few weeks.
0: (laughs) Um, I wasn't, that's the correct answer (laughs) though. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's, but that's what you say, folks. Uh,
2: (laughs) You're giving away the secret. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to be there a few weeks. You guys around, uh, here, oh, get in touch. Okay, great. You know, got back, got in touch. Like, yeah, that's is this weekend good? You know, or, or this week, this these days, and they they're like, yeah, we're here those days. Oh, great! That's when I'm going to be there. <laughs>
2: yeah, what a coincidence! Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. So flew up and and um, and I don't mean to to go too long on the whole Lucasfilm archives thing. As I know, I don't think you yeah. it's really yeah, they don't care at all. Uh, uh, it's uh, really, no, no, uh, to we find it crass. Uh, <laughs> please move on. Um, I went in, so uh, here's, just, you know, I had been to the Magic of Myth. Mm-hmm. I had been to Star Wars Celebration 4, where they had a bunch of real props on display.
2: Star Wars Celebration
1: 3, I think, had a bunch of real props on display, etc. I had been up close with all that stuff. I felt like I had a pretty good handle on, you know, what was there. I had read the Star Wars Indiana Jones, the best of Star Wars archives, uh, Luke's film archives book. Mm-hmm. Highly recommended, by the way. Um, I had now through the company and through my friends who collected, seen people with incredible collections of star Wars props and stuff that's not in the archives. And thinking, well, okay. We had seen all of Stuart Freemore and stuff. Holy cow. You know? And so I kind of go in thinking like, all right, I've built this up so big in my mind for decades now. Um, there's no way this isn't going to be a letdown. I've I've seen so much already. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to kind of feel a little bit like, oh, all right. I mean, it was really cool to see again, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I was wrong <laughs> <laughs> as I as I turn into Obi Wan. <laughs> um, it was uh, yeah, you know, like just. Cartoon levels of jaw hitting the ground and dragging behind you as you walk around. You know, John Christopher Lucy could not have come up with a more comedic, cartoon like Tom to walk through <laughs> this with. And it, it, you know, it probably helped that. Um, it was, they were so good to us and they really kind of took us through the entire place, you know. I, I want to say we were there for like six hours. Oh my god! Uh, <laughs> and we got to go to we go we went to lunch. We to the ranch, and the ranch itself is just amazing to be at. Wow. Um, and so, just yeah, really, I mean,
2: so oof, yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, the the breadth of what's there, the quality of the care now especially the people who are managing it are so so dedicated to the upkeep and the and and just really careful cataloging and um and and display of these uh and, and again just really freaking wonderful people uh and so nice to me And and I'm so fortunate to have had the chance to be there and, to and then to have met them and to have them in my life now and stuff. It's like, this is, this all is, is kind of part of that same thread, I guess. Um, but yeah, you know, and, and having now been back numerous times for various work reasons, you know, it doesn't ever get old, (laughs) (laughs) um, that that and and maybe there's the curiosity thing like there's always something to be curious about there's always something to look at you know like if you get tired of the star wars props you can look at the indiana jones props you get tired Mm -hmm. of that there's some howard the duck stuff or tucker or whatever else you know or if you're not into creatures one day go look at the models You know, (laughs) or the hand props there's the costumes I, i i really have such an appreciation for costumes uh, that I don't think... Again, initially, I would have thought of myself as a prop and a mask guy you know, for most of my life, but mm-hmm. after collecting for a bunch of years and interacting with so many costumes through the shop and making mannequins and things, um, there really is some mag- magic in wardrobe for these films and there's there's stuff that they have there the wardrobe ex- collection is extensive there mm-hmm. and i just remember one of the times being there and seeing like six variations of marion's dress yeah. from raiders
2: uh-huh. in
1: six different versions of distress Be- and you don't think about it this way right. but yeah as the movie goes on it gets you know rougher and rougher and dirtier and dirtier and it's like It wasn't one dress they just kept getting, you know, they shot this out of order. They needed a bunch of different dresses. And to see them together like that, it's just, it's an amazing thing. And there's, you know, this, these these rooms full of props and masks and monsters and things like that that I absolutely love. But it was a series of five or six white dresses that caught my (laughs) eye and really stuck with me. Like, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and, you know, so being there and walking through on this tour, they knew about the restoration work we did and they were curious about it. And so we looked at stuff with that, through that lens, um, as we toured and you know they showed me things that they were worried about. And I pointed out things to them that maybe caught my eye as something to be concerned about. Um, and I really do wish I could give a list of all the stuff. <laughs> we right. Um, but what I'll say is this, Everything we did was in that that very sympathetic fashion. Mm-hmm. Everything we did was with the utmost care for preservation and conservation first, um, you know, which are different from restoration. Right. But the one that I can talk about, and and if you'd like, I do have I have one picture that they have okay me sharing. It's, I, I think it's a selfie of me and uh, Max Rebo. <laughs> uh, so Max was. Really in, in challenging, challenging condition. And um, well, the most recent uh, chat that I did with Full Sip, I went pretty far into detail on this. So I'll, 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 I'll ask folks to look that up mm-hmm. for the full story. But I'll just say it was absolutely one of the most challenging things we ever had to restore. It was mm-hmm. a project where the pushing up the hill part was actually the better part of weeks, maybe even months uh, where I would look at this thing in the crate and then close the lid and then, you know wait for it to hit me, you know <laughs> um, and it it was very far along in this many, many weeks and months long project of restoring stuff that you know the the approach coalesced, the plan came together. And then very quickly, you know, we crested that hill. And <laughs> it was the Max Rebo roller coaster. <laughs> uh, but he came into the station looking beautiful. And I'm so, so proud of the work the team did on it. I'm so thrilled that he is around for people to enjoy now. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, he really was in danger. I, wow. I, I'm not being melodramatic. Uh, it, was, it was a piece that, you know, probably, and it's, it's through no fault of the people caring for it. There's, there's limits to what you can do. And unfortunately some of this stuff, you know, the way that it's mounted or the way that it's, it was, you know, just wasn't conducive to long-term. Some of it's how it was made, some of it's natural materials and the way they break down over time. You know, the, I feel lucky that we were there for that particular piece and, and the others we worked on. And I hope someday maybe we can, we can do some more with them. And, um, you know, there's, there's plenty, anytime you have an archive that big, there's plenty of stuff that can be, uh, improved in how it's preserved or presented or, uh, um, you know, supported really is, is probably the best word for it. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, an insane project.
0: I love it. I love it. You know, and some people might say that talking about the Lucasfilm archives is a chore or boring, but you know, I, I don't know if anyone would say that on, on this show. So, uh, hopefully not. Yeah, no. hopefully not. And you know, if anyone's listening, I would just hate going to the archives. What you just described sounds terrible, right? just sounds like just you a, would, a nightmare. No, you wouldn't like it. So especially no, if anyone is listening, just don't ever reach out or uh, DM or ask. Uh, and then I definitely wouldn't lie and say I'd be in San Francisco um, the next week. That definitely right. is not something
1: that I would ever do. So just, I think that's a good plan overall, but <laughs> you're you warning people away from this. Right. I, Cause otherwise you're going to get flooded with correct. You know, well, I mean, I, I'll it show it you
0: out. my messages. It's just nonstop people that work at ILM or at Lucasfilm. There's like, Oh man, my like, God. Yeah. like come. guys
1: with the letters. Yeah.
0: I get it. It's it's embarrassing.
2: embarrassing for them. <laughs> yeah. You just, know, exactly. Like, no. That's what it is. Exactly. At that point. So please just, know, just lay it off.
0: Cause I, don't need to do that right now. Um, okay. I feel like we've... <laughs> You're just waiting for me to invite you
1: here, aren't you? Is that, is that well, where this is going? <laughs>
0: that's, the part of that is, I mean, if I'm ever in New York, I'll be like, well, I'm in New York next week. Like, I'd love to. Um, right. But I, talking about Regal Robot, though, and talking kind of mm-hmm. shifting from restoration to then the the <laughs> things that you've created, um, the first yeah. thing I remember seeing and the thing that took the internet by storm, and I'm sure you get emails every week still asking if you could make it, is, of course, the Hansel and Carbonite uh, uh, table. Yeah. That kind of set the tone, though, for what Regal Robot is and, and does, for I feel sure. like, especially with the Star Wars aspect of it. And I'd love to delve in a little bit of, of how Regal Robot sure. started and sprang out of TSD and, and what um, what's going on.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, 2007-ish, Uh, The the Han Solo and Carbonite desk came about. We we were working for uh, a. uh, It was uh, Mark Hall, who's a Christian rock star, who (laughs) wanted a cool Star Wars themed desk that he would put in his office for a while in an auction for charity. And uh, Rich Riley and I put our heads together, presented a bunch of different ideas, and that was the one that. You know, I, I and I want to say Mark said something like, "Can you do something with hot and carbonite or whatever?" And we <laughs> were, at first we were like, "Yeah, but how do you deal with the surface?" And right. you know, is it is it flipped over? Is it how do you you know is it on the front of the desk? And we tried a couple different things, and eventually we hit on this idea of like you know the posts around the side and the glass over the top of it, and a cutout in the back so that you can get your legs under. We built it we did not think anything of it. It was before social media. So we didn't expect, you know, we weren't pushing it out anywhere. Mm-hmm. We just put it on our site and forgot about it. And within like a week, I was getting hundreds of messages about yeah. this. Thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, it was, it was crazy because it was a very small site at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, We get a fair amount of email every day, but nothing like this. And then I'm like, where is everybody? I kept asking, I'm like, where are you seeing this? It's like, (laughs) oh, it was on such and such blog. Oh, I saw it on this blog, on that blog. Everything was blogs back then, you know? Right. So, and then I went, I did like a a search on it. And like, I I stopped at 200 entries. (laughs) And it was 200 different blogs had written a story about it at the time. Right. And, and, I, and I'm like, okay, I'm cutting it off here, but what the hell? You know? yeah, <laughs> like, right. like, we knew it was kind of cool. Like, we were excited about it, but it wasn't <laughs> like, we didn't think that cool. Right. Um, so that really showed that, like, okay, you know, Rich and I always talked about this idea of, like, theme parks and, and how cool that is. And we love like, the whole uh, repurpose movement kind of thing that was happening, and, and, and especially how they do that in theme parks where they take – elements from a, a movie or a property or a cartoon or whatever. And they try and incorporate them in some new way and make them functional. Um, you know, they'll take some small thing from an animated, pardon me, an animated thing and they'll make it bigger and turn it into a seat or, or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we're like, you know, there's so much opportunity for that in star Wars. There's so much stuff in star Wars that could be turned into other things be that and, and become functional art. And, mm-hmm that was the spark, you know, that, that would become Regal Robot eventually. Uh, it would take a decade. It, would, it really was about us creating the relationship with Lucasfilm and building that whole thing up over the years, which was its own amazing ride. But, and, and then eventually finding our way to the right person in Disney's licensing departments, getting someone kind of got, got hold of what we do, and was behind us and was saying, you know, we know you're not, you know, some giant company, but we think you're going to do some stuff that's cool. And maybe in a space that other people aren't operating right now, which was my real pitch was just, you know, this is, it's like, we can come in and do this stuff and we won't even interrupt any of your other licensees. You know, Um, they just keep doing what they're doing. We'll do what we're doing. And, you know, here's something different that you can now give people and create something special for, for the fans. And, um, you know, it's a very, very long process to get that in place. And, you know, I, I'm lucky to be someone who's both a little bit of a creative person and a little bit of a business person and who, who has both that, you know, that sense of, uh, imagination, but also a little bit of math skill and stuff. <laughs> so,
2: right.
1: um, you know, that aspect of it, you have to be, and I mean, this is the way it is with TSD as well. You have to be as excited about the business side of things as you are the creative side. Otherwise, there's no way that you can um, keep things going and keep the folks that work for you employed, and you know right. keep your team together that loves creating stuff. So, um, I force myself to be very passionate about that side of things and, mm-hmm. and uh, spend many hours a day on that part of all of this. Um, and and with Regal. There's, you know, as a licensed thing with Star Wars doing these license creations, right. um, there's a lot of that. You know, there's a lot of heavy lifting on the business side behind the scenes that goes to the the uh, keeping that license alive and moving, and all of the stuff that has to happen. And um, and it's not just me. You know, Christine with the shop and Tracy and, and uh, the uh, on the sort of office side of things really do a lot of heavy lifting on that stuff as well as numerous other people there um but i've gone way off course <laughs> <laughs> no. we, so that that desk really shows that that sort of furniture art idea that we had that that functional mm-hmm. um element uh and so that's where regal started and, and we were lucky in that as we started to develop more stuff with lucasfilm they recognized our capacity for really detailed replica work too. And they realized that we were putting stuff into our furniture that was prop level stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you, when you make a, a, a sofa out of a (laughs) back and you scan the real prop to do it, uh, you pretty quickly get a reputation for, uh, for doing, you know, a particular level of work. (laughs) Okay. And, uh, and so that developed into now doing more um, prop replica things and, and creature replicas and droid replicas and mm. life size characters. Um, everything from our one to one Chewbacca bus to CZ3 to replicas of the maquettes. I mean, you talk about from Star Wars to Jedi, the, that sequence of the first try was two humans, the second, two snail like. The third was just right with Jabba the Hutt and the various maquettes going by. You know, we have now got our replica of the, quote, just right maquette for Jabba that's on display at the archives and is, you know, I and, and honestly, if anybody has looked at that and thought about picking it up, now's actually a great time to grab it because I think there's only like 29 of them left out of 250 pieces. Oh, my um, God.
0: Well, I mean... I'll do the sales pitch for you, which is, I mean, you're on phone and you can't see my video, but in the background yeah. of this video is my number 48. So if you want to match me, the best thing that I nice. own, please buy your Java the Hut <laughs> maquette uh, because... <laughs> I mean, and,
1: and with the payment plan, it's like a hundred bucks a month. Yep, like, it's that's exactly bad. what I did.
0: Uh-huh. Exactly what I did.
1: Yeah. I, and I'm not a super salesy guy, but I love that piece. I've got one in my office. I've got our photo master that I was like, yeah, that's mine. You guys don't need this anymore. I'm going to just put this right here on my shelf. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did, because uh, uh-huh. I just started a new job, and everyone looks at your background, and that was, oh, yeah, I, would, yeah. I, I would show it off. Every one-on-one meeting, I was like, look, and here's my job of the Hutt concept maquette from a uh, 1993 <laughs> documentary that I love. Uh yes, yeah, so he looks but, different yeah, than he does I, in the movie, and everyone got a
1: kick out of it. Right. Hopefully. <laughs> the phases, and just all like the little dripping stuff, and that like, you know, Michael's wood base that Phil carved up to look like stone blocks. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so great, it's that so original good. thing. And, and I'm, I'm so proud of the work the team did on that one. Tony Cipriano did the digital work on that. And it's amazing. And uh, Sherry and her team do the casting and painting on it. They're, they're, they do such a good job. Melissa and I do the paint masters. And uh, they really did a great job mimicking Uh, that on every piece, and they're all hand painted and they're all made in the USA. Like, it's this is what we're trying to put into our stuff, we're trying to give it that you know, hands on thing. Um, and uh, it's it's pretty cool, man. (laughs) I am genuinely excited about everything we do. I love it. I I mean, I,
0: I there's so much more to talk to you about, and really, this is just me like. Uh, buttering you up to come back for a part two in like a year but because there's you know <laughs> the the secrets of the cantina panel the uh, the the ma- oh, magic yeah. wheelchair stuff the uh snl Ooh. stuff all this stuff that like it's just like uh, the part of the fabric of why i've gravitated towards you and regal robot for for years now and I, i'd love to kind of take a step now and let's talk about why why i was able to uh, to get you on at least right now and because i'm just so excited and i want someone to talk to about it uh which is the (laughs) the chess set that regal is putting out um yeah and so i know that's been a labor of love and it's been i've seen you hint at it for probably almost a year now just kind of like maybe like oh like a live a live stream or something like oh and you know something something is is in the background like what is that um, <laughs> let, let's talk about it briefly, and you can tell everyone what it is Watch and how to that. get what it. What are you talking
1: about? <laughs> yeah. Is there something behind me again? Why do people keep saying this? And,
0: <laughs> uh, anyway, you're doing it with a, a prop. You, there was a live stream maybe a week ago, two weeks ago, and you did the same thing. I was like, oh no, like it's fine, it's it's okay. I prepare myself <laughs> a year in advance, um, but I also now have to. I prepare my fiance. I'm like FYI, like right here, you know, because I only have. I have two. I have the Jabba Deus magnets on my fridge. I have two of those. I have the Oh, Jabba, nice. And then I have the 94 uh, in the bathroom. Which is, yeah, you which, have to. And I felt, yeah, I, I got that email and I was like, what the hell? Like, you're, you're <laughs> just trying to get like a hundred bucks from me And I was like, that's so yeah, rude. Yeah. So rude. But
1: um, was, I, Didn't you notice the email only went to you? <laughs> yeah, it it a, wasn't like a mass email a to of all one. of our clients. Um, literally just me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, all that to be said, the most recent offering, the thing that's about to come out, uh, by the time that you listen to this, there will be the details, uh, and then yeah. next week will be the time to order it, is the Dejaric chess set, Phil Tippett, John Berg, Dennis Murin. Let's talk. Yeah. What's going on? You tell me you tell me what's <laughs> happening
1: because I'm I'm very nervous. So. <laughs> um I I was at Phil's studio uh, a few years back that also sounds Uh, terrible just like the archives awful i don't recommend it yeah Yeah. no no not at all uh and um at the time uh we we were doing a restoration uh there it was unrelated to star wars work but um at the time they were setting up to do the uh stop motion for solo uh star wars story and um Katie Sabrezer and another fellow, who I, I want to say his name was Kevin, and if not, I'm very sorry, not Kevin, um, were prepping the figures, and in particular, um, he was working on a mold for the Scrimp character that they were going to be bringing back mm-hmm. into um, into the mix, and she was at the time I was there repairing the fingers on Mister Big, mm-hmm. uh, who is the the, the uh, if you can't figure out which one's called <laughs> yeah. Mr. Big. Uh, so he's the big green guy with the shirt. He's the yeah. only one with clothes. Right. Um but uh I love the sound. <laughs> I love that that little roar like over the body and just the arms. Um so uh I was it was one of those things where like, you know, they must have noticed the drool as I'm watching <laughs> this from across the table where we're working and in Pat from the shop, Pat, Patrick Lue. Um, and, you know, it's like, oh, here, you know, hands you Mr. Big. And you're just like, oh, well, this doesn't suck. You know? Yo, <laughs> like, this, this is, is amazing. Like, yeah. Um, and I had seen the tested videos uh, yeah. where they took us through the process of how they did photogrammetry and scanning of the original props to create new digital files of each of these creatures one-to-one to to the original puppet and then output them to then mold them and make silicone armatured puppets for each of them for the new movies.
2: Um,
1: And it was so extra. It was so beyond what, you know, you really needed to do Um, (laughs) like, you know, nowadays, like, I mean, and I'm, and trust me, I'm so glad they did it. But, you know, normally you would just kind of go like, all right, we'll have some digital artists, look at the original movies. They'll model up some monsters a day each or whatever, and you're done. And then there you go. They're holograms. You just do it digitally, overlay it, you know, whatever. Um, but no, they wanted to be authentic and, and credit to, you know, J.J. and, and, uh, and the producers on uh, Force Awakens for going to phil specifically to do it mm-hmm. and then for phil's team of doing it you know the way they did where they went back to these original props they scanned them they photogrammetry them they studied them they made patterns and uh they brought these things back to life and so now there i am and i'm holding this big of my head <laughs> They're like oh the rest of them are in that cabinet you know you can play with them we'll leave it open for you yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'm probably getting someone fired by saying that out loud but (laughs) um and so yeah so there i am playing with all these stop motion puppets and i'm like instantly obsessed with them Mm -hmm. i like i always thought they were cool i was I, i was always into you know the the stop motion in general um, there's somewhere I have eight millimeter film footage of my Tauntaun Empire Strikes Back, like Kenner Tauntaun <laughs> doing stop motion attached to like the top of a shoebox or something, so it could get in frame and just like you know slowly stop motioning like goose step kind of stop motion across the screen. Um, but I was always obsessed with it, and uh, but th- these monsters, you know, you never really get a good look at them. Even the Chronicles pictures, they're like they're okay, but. They're all kind of you know weird contrasts and blown out from, on the colors and stuff. And then, you know, here they are, and they're in my hands, and there are these
2: amazing
1: recreations of them, and they're hefty and big. And, like, they're bigger than you think because the, the puppets are a little bigger than they look on screen. Um, there, if anybody has seen, like, the Galaxy's Edge set um, of, of these, um, uh, the replica ones, not even just the ones that come with the board, but um, those are those are like less than half the size of these. Those are real small. <laughs> um, at the And if anybody had the X plus figures that yeah. came out a few years ago, um, those two are really close to prop scale, you know? So that's like just kind of a sense of how big they are. Those might maybe like a percent or two over. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so that was the, sp- so that start of the obsession with these things. And it was just, you know, well, we didn't have prop replicas in our license at the time. And then it's, you know, how could we get to do this? Then we got characters and puppet replicas in and I'm like, Hey, these are puppets. We could replicate those. And then there was a little laws like, well, um, you know, when it came to that kind of stuff, when it came to any character stuff, we have to clear of some other licensees and things. We have to coordinate that end of it uh, to make sure that, you know, licensees aren't stepping on each other's toes, which is fantastic. And, you know, it's this very long process of getting kind of the okay to pursue it. Um, And then the other aspect of it was me saying, if we're going to do this, um, I I want to do this with some sense of lineage. And to me, the, the most ideal thing would be, could we get the digital work that Phil Tippett's team did? So that we could take those and now put them in cool poses, output them, um, and have pieces that have lineage back to those 1977 puppets, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously direct lineage to the force awakens and beyond puppets. Um, and yeah, there's a little back and forth there, but uh, ultimately, wound up talking to phil about it and he was excited and he was good to go and and said you know yeah let's let's do this and so you know i, I remember just literally like shouting and jumping for joy with rob who does a lot of the, at the shop when we got that like when he okayed it it was like shit <laughs> like, there it is. like um and then it then very quickly became like oh now we have to do this, you know, this is now the equivalent of developing, you know, 12 of those Java maquettes almost, mm-hmm. uh, because you've got 10 different characters and then two of them were, are doing the body slam set with, and, you know, reposing these digital things is not as simple as you would expect. Like you would think like, Oh, you just did the armature and you repose it. I see them do that in Pixar movies. <laughs> um, you know, that works great for visual effects when you're talking about maintaining the detail on a piece and keeping all the wrinkles in the same place and all of that. And moving them in the way that a foam rubber puppet would move, uh, mm-hmm. whereas certain things don't stretch naturally, you know, when it's a foam rubber puppet and trying to maintain that level of uh, authenticity in what we're doing. Um, the digital work on each one took a very long time. And then there was outputting it in a uh, um, super high-resolution resin printer that we got um, and then making sure that everything was output right and then doing, you know, any fine-tuning we did to did uh, like our artists would do by hand. Um, sometimes we would print a character five or six times because we were not 100% happy with something on it or the scale didn't feel right or, you know, we needed to account for potential shrinkage down the line in production. Um, you know, the... Uh, the process was very slow. It was nine months. It'll be nine months from the day that we started work on it. This isn't even the agreement. This is just actual physical start of work mm-hmm. to the release of them. Wow. Um, and it's been, you know, a very crazy time. A lot of work's gone into it. A lot of people have put a lot of work into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and And, you know, that's... And that's part of the value in them. You know, it's like, they're not very cheap replicas. um, And the reason for that is because, you know, you're not just paying for the resin it takes to make each one. You're paying for that nine months of numerous people's work uh, behind the scenes and and the great, great effort to make these as authentic as possible. Um, Phil actually had said, you know, He's very, very nice about him. We've got a a video up where, um, which by the time people hear this, they'll be able to go check out on our Regal Robot YouTube page where it's me chatting with Dennis Mirren and Phil and John Berg about the the scene back then and about the replicas a little bit. And, And Phil... said like if you put them next to the real replicas he wouldn't know which one was (laughs) which unless he touched it um you know next to the real props and that to me was like that's a really that's as nice as i could hear like that was the absolute goal like you i want to sort of like the rancor we did like i want to put it on the shelf turn out turn my way out of the room and then look out of the corner of my eye and go Mm -hmm. like
2: wait is that the real prop?"
1: you know, it's like, we've spent a lot of time at the real prop on that Is that it? like, that feels right. Like that's the feeling that I get looking at these. And that's what we want to bring people. We want these to feel like you, you know, broke into the archive. <laughs> Again, something I would know, never
0: do. And something that sounds never, terrible. no
1: interest. I understand. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, but that's it, you know, and, and it's, uh, such a labor of love you are correct um and and i am so beyond excited to finally be able to show them off we've been working so hard for so long and not being able to talk about them was killing me <laughs>
2: yeah
0: oh i can't wait and as you mentioned you were nice enough to send over the link to the video and it is if you obviously if you listen to the show you would love to hear uh Phil Tippett and John Berg and Dennis and talk for twenty four minutes or whatever that video is, and it's so great, yeah. and they're just having a blast. And I don't, I don't know what it is about the the situation that Phil Tippett is in in that video, how he's sitting <laughs> yes. and like where the camera is. It's just, it is, it is both bizarre, but also just like it is perfectly Phil Tippett, and it is wonderful. It's like yeah, it's
1: some sort of weird security footage, like <laughs> out out like they let him out of his cell for a little while so yeah. he could talk in the prison break room there i don't know it's weird um i it, it's it was so fun recording that uh by the way there is a post credit scene so stay for that um and uh it's, the the actual footage was uh it was, it was about 2 hours long if i remember mm. um and we we got to talk really in depth about you know just stop motion in general and Cascade, where all of them used to work uh, together, and and just a lot of that history. And I'm hoping someday, you know, this we had to do something that was a little more focused (laughs) for (laughs) for this release. But uh, I'm hoping to maybe turn that into something that folks can at least listen to or something. I think it's it's so great listening to those guys talk. They have such history and camaraderie and friends. Like they've been through, you know, war, (laughs) (laughs) making a movie. (laughs) uh, it's like that that is something that bonds people forever, and it's so, so present when you talk to these folks, and especially when you get them together um you know I've, I've been around John and Dennis together uh, at, at dinner and stuff, and it's just like there is such history between them and such camaraderie and such deep deep friendship and it's just it's such a treat to listen to and and, and you know. <laughs> yeah. The, 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 you, I, I'm with you. I'll, I'll, like, I don't care that I was in the video. I'm just going to go sit back and watch it now. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's like, wonderful. Yeah. It, and if, you know,
0: thanks. again, people people that listen to the show are going to love that. And people that listen to the show are going to love uh, these Dajaric chess pieces because, yeah, again... Thanks.
1: And you know, I mean, here's the thing. There, I know they're not going to be for everybody. There's only 77 sets of the big, you know, right. limited edition set, and then the other stuff is is being done as a timed edition. Mm-hmm. So folks have a limited time to order, but we're going to try and fill every order that uh, uh, that people do. Unless it really, honestly, if the orders get a little crazy, we might shut that down a little bit. But right now, the plan is for that to go for 45 days, and basically, everybody who orders between May the 4th and June 18th. We're going to try and you know get everybody in and then cap that edition off. Um, I, I'm hoping that's a nice way to give folks a second sort of bite at the apple. You know the 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 good thing is besides just the crazy high end stuff, there's plenty of stuff like that. That 94 plaque that you so proudly display <laughs> um, and. Which I think would just be a great thing for the listeners of your show to be. right um, only only but, the
0: the the most devout listeners of Talking Bay ninety four and that's, that's how you right. would, yes. that's how you prove your loyalty to this show is by purchasing the Talking Bay ninety four.
1: You know um, what? I'm I'm going to give you a scoop here. Okay, I haven't talked about this yet. Oh, this is this is the equivalent of me opening the box that says stuff Tom can't show on Facebook when we do our lives. Ooh,
0: I love it. Okay, um,
1: so you probably seen we started doing these cool wood art plaques. Right. Um, and you probably, and, and, and so these are, these are really cost effective things are like 30, 40, 50 bucks, whatever. Right. Uh, and they're, they're, you know, cool, rare type art things that not every star Wars seller is going to have. Um, things like the Vader and flames patch from the empire strikes back, the Wamba the morning yeah, uh-huh. empire the the vintage art from the the carrying cases, which is some of my favorite Star Wars art ever. Mm-hmm. Well, you probably noticed we had a docking bay thirty five plaque yep. from the Mandalorian, and that's sixty bucks as opposed to I think it's like one hundred and seventy five or whatever for the big resin ninety four mm-hmm. one. Right, uh, and it's it's maybe a little smaller, and it's it's two dimensional art with a three dimensional. Thirty-five carved into it, but it's a cool way to get a little sense of that. Maybe if you don't have the budget for the other one,
2: right. well,
1: hmm. we might have a docking bay ninety-four coming out as a companion to that thirty-five. That same fourteen-inch by fourteen-inch size, a half inch, three-quarter inch thick, I guess, and uh, got the ribbed edge, got the carved-in letters, got the photo print of the stucco on the outside with the drips and the weathering and all of that, and. Those are not going to be live on the site for another couple of weeks, but they are coming and folks who are fans of your show, I think uh, I think it'd be kind of a shame if they didn't have one.
0: I think that's a huge shame because uh, I think I'm about to double dip as well and find a different spot in my <laughs> uh, apartment for that too. Um, that is a wonderful scoop. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's going to be good to know though because I probably will need to just combine the order for the 94, the Wampa Warning, and the Darth Vader in flames and just kind of make sure that I am...
1: Covering all my bases. You want to cover your bases, yeah. Right. You definitely you don't want to be without any of those. Um, I love the Wampa warning.
0: Oh, it's the best. Ba- it, it is. It is the best. It is the best. And <laughs> it, it, it it's been tough because I'm looking. I'm looking at the site right now, and the t- I want the Wampa warning, but then I have the Columbia um, Norwegian ski jacket. I'm like, well, that be that would look so nice next to the Darth Vader in flames. Like that would. Why Ooh. I can't I can't have that and not you know the other. Um, Right, yeah, yeah. And then I'm kind of, I'm working through, I'm about to move to a different city with, with my fiance is going to live in, and so I have to be like very, very um, careful though, right? I have to really pick Mm -hmm. my battles here, right? So 94 is, it's easy for me to be like, yes, of course, you have to support- You have to support the show. It makes sense to have... Honey, both. it's
1: my show. Right. Yeah, you got it.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, but all that to be said, I feel like I've taken so much of your time and it's so late and I feel so bad, but I've, I'm having such a blast. <laughs> <right>. And um And <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. Uh, and yes, yeah, if I have thanks not... Thanks for having me, man. If I have not gushed enough about realrobot.com and all the stuff that they have, go check it out. Uh, go check out the upcoming Dejarik set. Um, by the time this launches, you'll be able to order it uh, and check out all the details and, uh, yeah, exciting stuff. And Tom, thank you for coming on. It's been a long time coming and <laughs> I was looking through the list. I was like, Tom has not been on, uh, I don't think, but I'm glad that we've remedied that. So thank
1: you. Me too, man. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have been here. I'm honored to have been on the show. I, I'm, I, I, look forward to, uh, to chatting through that long list of other stuff that you mentioned <laughs> that we never even got to, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> Perfect. No, I, I'm 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 so happy. Thank you so much, and uh, I I appreciate all the kudos on the work that my team is doing. There, they all work so hard, and it uh, means a lot to us that you know people go to uh, RegalRobot.com or TomSpinaDesigns.com or follow us on social. And I'm not just I'm not guilt tripping folks, but it really it does mean a lot. <laughs> uh, tell your friends, go follow us. We're at RegalRobot or we're at Tom Spina Designs, and and I think. If you' if you're if you like this show you're just gonna like the content there like I just want to share with folks uh,
2: who are like us.
0: Thank you again to Tom for taking the time and coming on the show. He is such an inspiration to me and it was so great getting to catch up and nerd out. The Dajaric chess sets we've been talking about are now on sale and the link to the Eagle Robot to buy them is in the show notes. Thank you all again for your patience during this break. I just started a new job and things have been pretty crazy but equally crazy are our upcoming interviews including Nick Garris, James Klein, Michael McCormick and his first Star Wars interview ever. And Amy Ratcliffe. As always, if you can leave a 5-star rating and review for the show, it means a lot and really gets the word out. So until next week,
2: stay tuned, leave that 5-star review, and may the force be with you.